0: All right, well, let's take a look here at the text. And just by way of quick review, remember that Chronicles was written to the Jews who were coming back to Israel, most specifically to Jerusalem, after having been in bondage for 70 years in Babylon. So most of them had never been in in Israel before. And so they were being given a history lesson. And 1 Chronicles talks about King David and his life on the earth, and then 2 Chronicles focused on Solomon and then the kings that came after him. And over the next three chapters, we're going to look at the reign of a king by the name of Asa. And we will see that the first revival in this whole book. So it's such a God thing that we're seeing the revival on college campuses. And if you went to the movie last night, by the way, it's going to be playing every night. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's got full show times throughout the week. And if so if you got somebody who doesn't know the Lord or somebody who's not really walking with the Lord, uh, invite them, take them. Uh, we had people that were there last night that didn't know the Lord and, and they heard the word. Amen. And so let's pray, continue to pray for that. But this is going to be the first really revival that we see because remember that they're looking back at the history of what took place uh, before they were taken captive. And so uh, Judah, if you'll remember, had some good kings. Israel never had any. Every king they had was evil, every king they had was worshiping idols, and that's one of the reasons they were drug off into captivity. And then the same happened with Judah, but Judah did have some good kings amongst the bad ones. Uh, There was a... Well, ungodly, you know, one thing I love about Asa, so we know his dad, Abijah, if you were here last week and the week before, well, last week I wasn't here, but two weeks ago, we know that Abijah kind of started well, but he ended up being just as evil as his, more evil even than his father was, Rehoboam. And so he fit, did not finish well. And so now Asa is his son. And often what we will think is if, if someone has an evil dad, they're bound to have evil kids. And sometimes that can happen because uh, the moms and dads aren't, aren't a great example. But Asa is a picture for all of us that so we need to understand that. Our parents not loving Jesus is no excuse for us not loving Jesus. Amen? And just because our kids, our, our parents didn't love the Lord is not an excuse for us not to love the Lord. Now, that being said, as parents, we want to be a Christ-like example to our children. So there were some ungodly kings and some godly kings, but there were five specifically that were really known to be those who had brought revival into the kingdom. And again, uh, in the kingdom of Judah. Now, among those five kings, there was over 20 kings in Judah. 10 could be called good. Uh, five of them were outstanding. One was Asa. That's what we're looking at tonight in the next couple of weeks. Uh, then Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. And during their reigns, their were times of repentance and reformation and revival. And so Asa is the first example of an outstanding king who is faithful to return the focus of the people back to God. Wouldn't I mean, imagine if instead of having a president, we had a king and we kept having evil kings and someone came along and said, we're going to burn down all the buildings to all the false gods. And we're going to take all these false idols, we're going to set them on fire. And we're going to destroy all of it. And we're going to start worshiping the true and living God. And we're going to honor God in everything we say and everything we do. Well, that's exactly what happens when Asa takes over. Because there's idolatry everywhere. And he's going to be the first one to bring revival. He's going to be the first one to stand up and say, we're just not doing this. We're going to start worshiping the true and living God. He's going to be the first one to remove all the altars of the foreign gods, to break down the sacred pillars and wooden images, to command the people to seek the Lord and to obey His word. So if you have your outline, grab it. Second Chronicles chapter 14, I titled the message, God Has No Grandchildren. And the reason I share that is that, again, because your parents are godly doesn't mean you're godly, and and just because your parents are ungodly doesn't mean you're going to be ungodly. We all have our own relationship with the Lord. And Asa had uh, really three generations, because his dad Abijah, before him was Rehoboam, and before Rehoboam was Solomon, who did not finish well. So he really had about two and a half generations in front of him, or behind him, if you will, that were horrible examples, We're not the kind of example he would want to follow. So here's the five points we're going to look at. These are all applications we'll find in tonight's text for our lives. Hopefully we can take them home with us and live it out. Number one, an ungodly example is not an excuse to live an ungodly life. Now it's interesting, I saw this, I actually shared it with some people online, and I saw this statistic and it just blew my mind. 93% of the time, if the father... Gets saved, 93% of the time, his whole family follows him. If the wife gets saved, about 70% of the time, the whole family will follow her. And if the kids get saved first, it's less than 5% that follow their children. The point is this we need godly dads, amen? Amen. We need godly dads who will lead their home, be the spiritual leader in their household, who will say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Asa did not grow up with that kind of an example. But Ace is going to be that kind of example for his children who follow after him. Number two, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. We need to stop worrying about what the world thinks about anything. Amen? Because it's not popularity with men, but faithfulness to God that matters. When we... Stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day. It won't matter how popular we were with the world. It won't matter how well we fit into the culture. And by the way, you want to talk about a dramatic, I don't know what the award show was. There was an award show recently, and they literally had full-blown Satan worship as their, you know, part of their entertainment. And then you see what's happening in all these college campuses where there's revival. I think we've got some serious division in our country right about now, Amen. And I think that Jesus' revolution coming out when it did was not by chance. So look, we have a choice to make. You know, We can choose to follow the Lord, we can, or we can choose to try to be popular with the world. And doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord is what really matters. True repentance is to turn from the world and our sin and follow the Lord. Number three, as you rest in Him, prepare for the battles to come. So we're going to see that God blesses the kingdom because Asa is being faithful, and they have 10 years of peace, 10 years of no strife, no war, no battles. But in those 10 years, they still need to be preparing because the battles are coming. And the same is true for us as Christians, because we know that the battle belongs to the Lord. We know that God is in control, but we also know in James, it says, the counter all joy when you fall.'" into various trials, because trials are a part of living on this planet. So we need to be preparing ourselves for the trials that are coming, even when we're in times when we're enjoying great peace. Number four, stay desperate for the Lord. Something we need to do, if we ever get to the point where we cease to be humble, broken, and desperate before Him, we will cease to be usable. I put in there, be equipped for the battle through prayer of the Word, obedience, and and fellowship. And then finally, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to see that Asa is blessed by God for 10 years of total peace, and then he's going to mount up a fortress, and he's going to raise up an army, even though there's no battle at that moment, He's preparing for the battle. And then as awesome as his army appears to be, he's going to face an army that's twice their size. And so we can look, and again, if you just look at from as Asa, we're going to see this, that all of a sudden he's got a million, a million men army coming against him, and they've got 300 chariots, and they're coming, which are like tanks, and so they're mounted up and they're ready to come battle them. And we're going to see how Asa responds when he's outnumbered, and we're going to see where he runs and who he turns to and who he cries out to, and he's an example for all of us to follow. So let's begin there. God has no grandchildren. An ungodly example is not an excuse to live an ungodly life. It says in verse 1, so Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. We know from 1 Kings 15, it says, and he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. It wasn't his father, but actually his grandfather. But we see that from First Kings, that he was not a godly king. Now, he had godly moments, but he did not finish well, and he was not faithful to serve the Lord. His life was summed up by whether or not, it was really all of our lives is summed up by whether or not we obey the Lord and His word. He walked in the sins of his father. I can think of a few things that would break my heart more than to know that I led my kids in a way that led them away from the Lord. And it breaks my heart that, that, that sadly that's what's happening in most of America today. The dads are not being a Christ-like example. The, a lot of moms are not being a Christ-like example. And so we have this example that Abijah, it, you know, he walked in the sins of his father. And it would have been easy for Asa just to do what his dad did. His dad followed the simple behavior of his father. It would have been easy for him to follow the simple behavior of his father as well. We know that he got caught up in idolatry that Rehoboam was invested in, that his heart was not loyal to God, and so too, in the end of our lives, we will be summed up by what have we done with God's son. So Abijah reigned as king, and God gave him victory over Jeroboam for King David's sake because of God's promise that he had made to King David, and David had his own failures, but he followed the Lord. See, the, the thing is about being a godly man or woman doesn't mean that we'll be sinless. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect, but what we will be is repentance. What we will be is we'll be, we'll be heartbroken over our sin. What we will be are people that are never satisfied with where we are spiritually. Guys, we never arrive as Christians. We're, we're in that sanctification process until the day we get to heaven. Amen. So we're all works in progress, and the closer we get to the Lord, the more we hate the sin in our lives. And sadly, what has happened in the lives of these kings that had gone before him, they'd gotten caught up in the things of the world. While Abijah reigned as king, he ruled over men, was wealthy, had everything the world had to offer, but, the, but death is the great equalizer. One out of every one person dies. I'm doing a funeral tomorrow. I don't know how many. I've probably done 250. I don't know how many. And I love doing funerals for people that are saved. Amen? Because what is it? It's a celebration. Now, we, we grieve, but not as those without hope. And we miss them, but we're going to see them again. But I'll tell you what's really hard is doing for funerals for people who don't know God. And still, there's an audience there that needs to hear about Jesus. And so, Abijah dies. Abijah's gone. And again, he's buried with his fathers, with his ancestors. His life was but a vapor. You know, Abijah only reigned for three years. And you know, often when we're living an ungodly life, our life is cut short, amen? Now, I'm not saying that godly people's lives aren't cut short. Look at Stephen, amen? Faithful man of God, he was stoned to death. But is going to reign for 41 years. is a godly man, he's going to reign for 41 years. Abijah, an ungodly idol worshiper, who followed after his father Rehoboam, only reigned for three years. So, and it says there after that, that Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So Abijah had not been a good example for his son to follow, neither had his uh, grandfather Rehoboam or his great grandfather Solomon at the end of his life. But Asa will choose to follow the Lord faithfully and serve as a godly king in spite of his dad's ungodly example. So, an ungodly example, again, is not an excuse for us to live ungodly lives because, again, God has no grandchildren. So, all of us will stand before God. And when we do, none of us will have an excuse for having rejected him. No one will be able to say, Yeah, but my grandfather. Yeah, but I lived in difficult times, and, and I went through great difficulty in my life. And God is a gracious God, and He cares about that. But that's not an excuse to reject the Lord. See, Jesus is the answer no matter what trial you've gone through in life, no matter how horrible you may have grown up. There is an answer, and there is hope, and His name is Jesus Christ. If you were at the movie last night, Greg Laurie's testimony is pretty radical, His mom was married seven times and he didn't know who his father was. And his mom was had a drug and alcohol problem and was a mess and was sleeping around and and he grew up without a father in his life. And it'd be so easy. And he got caught up in drugs himself. But then he has a head-on collision with Jesus Christ and everything changes. Amen. And so that can be true of all of us. And we don't want to blame and we don't want to be victims. Because the reality is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, loves, he knows you best. He loves you most. He'd rather die than live without you. He proved it on the cross of Calvary. And don't let the enemy lie to you to think that you're of no value to God because you are of incredible value to Him. And He's the one that matters. Amen? So we can be an example for bad or for good when it comes to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our family, our friends. We can either point people to the Lord or push them away from him. Now it says in 1 Timothy four, we know that Ace is a young man. And it says this: Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. This is written to young pastor Tim from young pastor Timothy, but it's written to a young man. And when it's written to him, he's being exhorted that even though you're young, you can still be an example, and as believers. Uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather hang out with you know, someone who's 15 years old and on fire than someone who's 70 and doesn't know the Lord. Amen? That went with, with, there's more wisdom in someone who's known the Lord a month than someone who's walked without Him their entire lives. And he says, the exhortation here is, don't let people look down upon how young you are. By the way, do you know that, that uh, Greg Laurie planted harvest when he was 19? And he'd been a Christian about a year and a half. And Chuck sent him out and bought a building, and said, go plant a church. You know what? God can use, you know, God's looking for ability, not ability, but availability. Amen? Here I am, Lord, send me. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. He's looking for men and women who say, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Whatever Whatever the calling is, I'm in. Whatever the question is, the answer is yes, Lord. I want to be faithful and be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Ace is a young man, could have followed his dad's example, but that's not what's gonna happen. Praise the Lord. What kind of example are you being to the people around you? If everybody followed your example, what would the world look like? Notice it says there at the end of verse one in his days the land was quiet for 10 years. Boy, I would like the I'd like the land to be quiet in the United States for 10 minutes. Imagine 10 years of just peace, 10 years of God's on the throne and God's being glorified and just 10 years. And, you know, when we're sur- fully surrendered to the Lord, we know peace. Now, it doesn't mean that peace is freedom from uh, war, right? Because you can have war and still have peace because guys, true peace isn't freedom from war or conflict. It's knowing the prince of peace and having the peace that surpasses all understanding, But in this case, what it's actually talking about is there was no war, that there was no battle. There was no conflict. A godly man stepped up. We're going to see in the next few verses, he gets rid of all the idols, he turns them all back to the Lord, and it brings peace to the nation. And guys, that's what we need to be praying for. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm for revival, but I truly believe that while there's revival on these campuses where kids are getting saved, and that's wonderful, I believe real revival is seen what happens when you walk out of the worship. Amen. When you go back to work, when you go, I'm praising God that it's happening. Thank you, Lord. People are getting saved. I love it. Uh, you know, when you've got a bunch of college kids worshiping for like 10 days straight, that's solid. Can I get an amen to that? That being said, though, why don't, real revival is when the when all the liquor stores close. Because everybody quit drinking. Amen? A real revival takes place when all the churches are full and all the strip clubs are empty. Can I get an amen to that? Real revival is when there's a change of behavior, and Asa is going to change the behavior of the entire land because he's going to be one guy that's going to step up and say, no, we're going to honor God. I know my dad didn't. I know my grandfather didn't. I know my great-grandfather failed in the end, but I'm not going to fall in their footsteps. I'm going to be the man God called me to be. In his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. So with Asa, there was 10 years of peace, of freedom from war, of conflict with the nations around them. And as Christians, we will deal with trials and conflict even as we walk in obedience. Again, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials are a part of that sanctification process. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So we find out where we really are spiritually. You've heard me say this before. Christians are like tea bags. You find out what's on the inside when you put them in some hot water. Amen. So when you go through that difficulty in life, it's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship when everything's good. It's easy when there's money in the bank and everybody's healthy and you've got a good job and you know, God's using you in different ways. And it's another thing to continue to praise the Lord when you're going through the storms of this life. When your 28-year-old son dies, when you lose your job, when you have kids that are walking in rebellion, when, when you're going through uh, you know, great physical ailment, all those things that go through our lives, that's when we're going to see what's really on the inside. Because again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. The con- consequences of sin are a quite different thing than the righteous judgment of God. See, they had peace even though the war was going to be coming. And in the midst of their peace, they didn't stop preparing. See, if you're going through a, good time, a, a smooth time in your walk with the Lord, and maybe, maybe even in your family, everyone's healthy, everybody's walking with the Lord, everything's going really well at the moment, um, praise God for times like that, amen? Sadly, they're few and far between. There's usually something going wrong somewhere because we live in a fallen world, amen? But in the midst of all of that, we should not, get, we should not let our guard down. We shouldn't say well everything's so oh, I got so much money in the bank enough to worry about it. I got you know I'm i I'm in perfect health. I'm uh, you know I, I I work out. I'm I'm doing great. You know my marriage is good, every and we, you know my kids are all walking with the Lord. And we can, and it's a wonderful thing if all that's happening, we can praise God for it. But we must never stop be, to be on guard. Stop being on guard and being prepared for when the trials are going to come because they're coming. And so Asa is going to do just that. Yeah, we got 10 days of peace, 10 years of peace. Right now, there's no, there's no problems, but he's not gonna just, you know, go out and party and think that it's gonna stay that way forever. Instead, he's gonna prepare himself. The Bible says there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Asa has peace because he's walking with the Lord. The wicked never have peace. Never. There's never going to be one moment. And that's why they're always chasing after something else. More fame, more money, more followers, more sex, more drugs, more alcohol, whatever. And they're chasing after something to fill that God-shaped vacuum that only Jesus Christ can fill. One of the many things I loved about the movie last night was how real it was. at showing just how empty those young people's lives were when they were just doing drugs. Lives were a mess. And all it does is it makes things worse. It doesn't make it better. And then I love the line that Lonnie Frisbee says to Pastor Chuck. He said, when he's talking about his people, he so said, you know what they're like? They're like sheep without a shepherd. And that's what we all need is the good shepherd. Amen? And, and we have a sheep without shepherd. They're all walking into ditches and walking into fire and walking off of cliffs because sheep are stupid. Amen. <laughs> If you watch that video where they take all this, they take hours to get this sheep. It gets wedged in this little thing. It's in like Ireland or something. They pull the sheep out, take some hours. They finally get a crane. They wrap it. They pull the thing out. It runs ten steps and jumps right back in the same hole. Doesn't that sound like my life and your life sometimes? Amen. We ask God to forgive us. He does, and then we run right back and jump in the same mud puddle again. But the way of the transgressor is hard, and our flesh will never be satisfied. And there's just there's no peace for the wicked. And that's why they're never satisfied with what they have. And that's why they become more and more, more and more perverse and more and more wicked. The whole, the whole transgender thing now, and the, all the genders, and all, it's just absolute perversion contrary to the word of God. And I've never met anybody walking down that road that has peace because there isn't any down that road. Amen? Amen. We need Jesus. He's the answer. He created you. and He doesn't make mistakes. Amen. And we, not, we need to fall not into the trap of listening to what the world has to say about any of that. So Asa follows a wicked king, his own father, whose reign was very short and dishonoring to God. His rebellious father and the ungodly example he set for Asa was not an excuse for Asa to be ungodly and rebellious. And thankfully, he did not follow in his father's footsteps. So what, it, what was it that brought 10 years of peace? What was it? Point number two doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So there's 10 years of peace, but why? Here we go, verse two. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. How many of you would like to have that on your tombstone, amen? Wouldn't that be the, the most amazing way to describe somebody's life? Somebody, I mean, Asa, God bless you, bro, did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now, it may have not been good or right in the eyes of the world. No doubt it wasn't. It may not have been good and right over some of the people he was ruling over. It certainly wasn't good and right for all the ones who were caught up in worshiping of the false gods, the Baals and the Ashtaroths, when he burnt down all their places of worship and leveled them. But see, he was being honorable to God and not worried about how popular he was with men. Because guys, when we stand before God on Judgment Day, nobody is standing next to you. And there's no jury that's going to vote for you. We're all going to be judged by Jesus Christ and Him alone. Amen? And the only thing that will matter is, what have you done with God's Son? The key to the verse is in the eyes of the Lord. The word good there is good, pleasant, agreeable. The word right is straight, upright, correct, right. I have people that will use that term sometimes. You're just a straight white male. I'm like, I'm good with all three of those. Amen? Because the word straight means right. And everything else is wrong. Can I get an amen to that? one man with one woman for a lifetime. See the popularity of of before men and before the world is meaningless. And I want to see everybody saved. I want to see everybody saved. But some of these people are doing demonic worship. I not know if it, I saw this recently and they're showing all the different uh, musicians who have in the last year who have pictures put themselves hanging on crosses or with, with uh, crowns of thorns or on upside down crosses or uh, you know, dripping of blood like they've been crucified. It's so sacrilegious. And they've hardened their hearts so much toward God. But we're only one beggarly another beggar to the bread. That could be all of us. But because we have Jesus, we should be more vocal for the truth than they are for the lie. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. Here's Asa. And he's like, I, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And we need more men and women who care only about one thing, honoring God. God. By the way, if we honor God, we'll be a good husband. I'll be a good husband. If I honor God, I'll be a good employee. If I honor God, I'll be a great neighbor. If I honor God, I'll be a good citizen. Amen? Why? Because when you honor God, you do what is right and good in the eyes of the one who created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And that's what is doing. And God bless Asa. The only judge that matters is the Lord. I wrote this down. I would rather be faithful to God and judged by the world than follow the world and be judged by God. Amen? Say that again. I would rather be faithful to God and judged by the world than follow the world and be judged by God. Again, I have a 401k. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? That's the retirement program I'm shooting for. That's what I want to hear on Judgment Day. When we stand before the Lord, He won't care. All this stuff that we think is so important. And you know why we think it's important? Because we care what other people think. When you stop caring about what people think, you won't worry about very much anymore. Amen? And by the way, they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Amen? Why are you panicked? Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Now, notice what he does. He said he did what was right. When, when doing what was right, what did he do? Look at verse 3. Here's what he did. He removed the altars. Now, if you have a pen and that's your Bible, even if it's one of ours, feel free to underline it. I love three words there. It says, he removed, I put removed there, underline that, the altars of the foreign gods and the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars and he cut down the wooden images. He didn't set them aside and put them in storage for later. Amen? He went after the idols and Burned them to the ground, chopped them all up, removed them. He removed them, he broke them down, he cut them down. Asa took action against these false gods that had been allowed to be worshipped in the land of promise of God's chosen people. They were worshipping idols in the land of promise. There's a lot of people that have idols in church, what they call churches today. In the very place where Jesus should be lifted up and you've got saints and you've got other things that people worship and magnify it's not far from what we saw in these times in the land of Judah. Asa took action against the false gods. This is why I could never be in politics, because this would never work in our country, and I had to have Christians argue with me about it. I would burn every mosque to the ground tomorrow. Pastor Dave, that's not very nice. Guess what? It's a doctrine of the devil taking people to hell, and I love God, and I love people, and you know what? I don't care about it. Can I get an amen to that? Isn't that exactly what Asa did? He went through town. Really? Oh, false god to bail, Not so much. Amen? Walking out there with his hammer. <laughs> Remember Elijah walked in in front of King Ahab? Yeah, I don't think so, bro. Kicked his gods over. And we're scared to death because, guys, don't make the mistake of thinking uh, religious freedom is equivalent to what the word of God says about everything else. Amen? Because before we're Americans, we're Christians. People are mad at me already, I promise but he cut him down. He said, that's not okay. And you know where that needs to start? It needs to start in your house. If you've got stuff in your house that's not honoring to the Lord, get rid of it. If you've got TV stations that are playing stuff that isn't honoring to the Lord, get rid of it. Amen? If you've got music in your house that's not honoring to the Lord, get rid of it. If you've got things in your house that take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on the world, it's time to get rid of it. See, he went in and he kicked all that stuff down. And he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And I'm not being legalistic, but when you walk with the Lord, you know the things that are honoring to God and the things that aren't. Amen? Holy Spirit convicts you. Why am I watching this? I don't want any part of this. Why Why am I being entertained by this? He rids the land of promise of all of it. The idols were Asheroth and Baal, and they had altars and groves, places of worship to these false gods, and he just went out and leveled them. He dealt with complete destruction of the idols and their places of worship, and again, he didn't just cover them up or take them down, he destroyed them. And the sinful and perverse behavior that was running rampant in the land. See, these gods, many of them, they had temple prostitution, so it was a place for pornographic images. It was a place for sexual immorality. And all that stuff was taking place. I'm removing all of it. I'm getting rid of all of it. You know what? I pray for this every once in a while. I would love for the internet to explode <laughs> and go away forever. Amen. Now, I love that we are live streaming right now. That's great. But if we didn't live, if we couldn't live stream, people would have to come to church. Amen? And we would get rid of so much garbage if the internet just died. And this comes from a guy who sells advertising on the internet for one more month. Amen? And then I'm done. We go back to 1 Kings. So not only did he wipe out all the false gods and the false idols, but in 1 Kings, it says this. It says, he banished the perverted persons from the land. Again, this is not a popular statement because we're so blind by the world. Perverted persons is speaking of homosexuals and and prostitutes. He rid them of the land, remove them. Now, can people repent no matter what their sin is? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. But if you're continuing in that sinful behavior, you're shaking your fist at God, you're mocking God, and judgment is coming. I got so much heat for this, but I still believe it's true. I believe AIDS was righteous judgment from God. Now, again, did innocent people get AIDS? What's the answer? They did. Babies were born with AIDS. Certainly, we're not talking about them. But do you know if you're faithful to your spouse and you didn't do IV drugs, your chances of getting AIDS were lower than getting hit by lightning? Why? Because it came through sexually transmitted, and it didn't have, if you're with one person your whole life, that's not going to be a problem. Amen? But the point is that God does bring righteous judgment. And at the same time, even as he brings judgment, what does he want? He wants repentance. He wants people to see that I've been going in this direction. It's been a disaster. And here's Asa, like, dude, I'm not. this is not okay. We're getting rid of all of this. We're not just getting rid of the false gods. We're getting rid of those who worship these false gods by being temple prostitutes. We're kicking them out. We're not going to continue this anymore. There needs to be repentance. It also says they were introduced... Into Judah during the reign of Rehoboam. Asa's father Abijah didn't remove these perversions and idols, but King Asa did. His dad didn't get rid of it. His grandfather brought it in and he brought it out and said, No, we're not doing that anymore. You know, the other thing he did, if you were here for 1 Kings, I remember we were sitting out there in the cold, he fired his grandmother. You guys remember that? Makah, his grandmother, uh, he fired her for being the Queen Mother because she had made an obscene image of one of these false gods. And as soon as he saw it, he fired her. Now, this is a guy who's putting God before grandma. Amen? And you know what? As believers, we should put God before even our families. Amen? Now, we love our families. We should love them dearly. We should love them deeply. But if I have to choose between God and someone in my family who rejects God, I'm picking God every time. Amen? And we want to see them saved. and We want to witness to them. We want to reach out to them. But see, Asa, God bless this guy. When I get to heaven, he's going to be on that list somewhere. I want to have a Coke with this guy, right? I want to sit down and go, bro, you rock, man. And because the reality is that he was in the midst of all this perversion. And he was standing for the Lord. And we need more Asas today. Amen? Probably more grandsons. I'm going to push for Asa for the name. Unsaved world calls perversion natural and acceptable. The world says if it feels good, do it. The Word of God tells us if it's contrary to the Word of God, don't do it. Why? Because the way the transgressor is hard. And the things that we would get involved in bring destruction because God knows what's best for us. God gives us His commands because He loves us and He knows what's best for us. And again, you've heard me say sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. More than what we turn from, but who we turn to. So He's gone in, He's... Kicked down all the idols, he's you know, destroyed all the places of worship, all the idols have been leveled, he's removed all the temple prostitutes and all the perversion that was taking place in the land, but it's not enough just to get rid of the bad, we need to turn to the good. Can I get an amen to that? It's not good enough, you know, you've, you've read in the Bible where a demon-possessed man and they deliver all the demons, but it says if he's not, you know, I'm paraphrasing, if the Holy Spirit doesn't take its place, the demons are going to come back ten times stronger. And so it's not enough for us just to walk away from ungodly behavior because God knows what's best for us. It's not good enough just to walk away from it, but we, but we need to turn away from it. We need to turn to the Lord. And so here's what it says. Look what it says there in verse 4. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. So he didn't just get rid of the ungodly. He had them all turn back to the Lord. Now he can't make them turn, but he made a command that they would. The commandment is like, again, if I was president for a day, about as long as I'd last, but if I was president for a day, we'd all be reading the Bible in every school. Can I get him into that? We would get back to honoring the Lord. We would get back to being respectful. We would get back to singing praise songs and having worship. We would get back to celebrating the real meaning of Christmas, and we would stop honoring the things that are ungodly and contrary to the Word of God. Amen? That's what Ace is doing. We're not just turning away from the ungodly, but we're turning back to the Lord. We're going to obey His Word. We're going to worship the true and living God, not these dead idols anymore. We're getting rid of them. This perversion, it's not happening anymore. We're removing it from the land, and we're going to honor God. Guys, if you want to see revival, that's revival right there, amen? See, revival is a change of behavior, a change of priorities, a change of what your passion is. What's important to you radically changes when there's been revival. It's not enough to remove the ungodly physical sin and ungodly behavior if we don't turn to the Lord Spiritually, Guys, if we fix ourselves physically, but we don't get right with God spiritually, that's not enough. And by the way, you can't good, get good physically without giving your life to the Lord spiritually. Amen? You'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. So he commanded. King Asa could not force the people to obey, yet he did command them with moral force and with his own example. Turn from the sinful idolatry and perversion. Faithfully follow and obey the Lord and his commands. Verse five, he also removed the high places and the incense altars from the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. See, he removed all of this and it became peaceful. You get rid of all the false gods. You get rid of all the perversion that's running rampant. You get rid of, uh, you know, the, you get back to serving the true and living God. And all of a sudden there's peace in the land. There's no more parades, right? There's no more of this nonsense promoting perversion. It's all been shut down. And now God pours out a blessing upon the land because he is being honored. Not just Jerusalem, but all of Judah, removed from the high places, the incense altars. These were all set up, most of them by Solomon. A guy that wrote, you know, Proverbs. A guy that was referred to as the wisest man in the world, right? He wrote Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. And here he is, he was setting up high places for false worship. And we might say, well, I would never do that, but maybe there's something in your life that is more of a priority to you than God is. And as soon as you have anything you put before God, that becomes a false idol. Amen? You shall have no other gods before me. No other graven images. When we make anything more important than God, we're involved in idol worship. The kingdom was quiet. The removal of sin and idolatry from the person's life and turning to the Lord, fully surrendering to Him, always results in a life of peace. Again, it's not free from trials, but there's peace. I, I use him as an example a lot. John Corson. A lot of you don't know who he is, but John Corson, pastor to pastor Calvary Chapel up in Oregon. And as he was going up there to plant the church, he got in a car accident and his wife died right in front of him on the freeway. And then some years later, his daughter got killed. And then some years later, his son died of a brain tumor. And that brother never stopped serving Jesus. And you, know what that does, you know what that tells me? Is Here's a man that in the midst of great grief and great difficulty, a man who still has peace because he knows the Prince of Peace. Amen? And you can use many examples like that where, it's, it, again, it's really seen in the midst of the great trials how we respond. It's in that hot water that we find out what's on the inside. The kingdom was at peace. Peace even in the midst of the greatest storm. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and what? Peace. Self-control. Those are things that are evidences that your life's been radically changed. So point number two, they're doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Point number three, as you rest in Him, prepare for the battles to come. So there's peace. But it doesn't mean it's going to be there forever. And And thankfully, Asa is going to be preparing himself for the day that he knows is coming. Because guys, if we're, again, if everything's great in our walk with the Lord and our families are doing wonderful and there's money in the bank and everybody's healthy, we we know that's not permanent. Matter of fact, we're thankful that if it lasts for any length of time at all, notice what it says here, verse six. So in preparation, knowing that this time of peace was going to not always be there, it says he built fortified cities in Judah. For the land had rest; he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Though he had no war, Judah prepared for it like it was coming. While our lives may be at rest, uh, not currently engaged in battle, yet like Judah, we should like Judah, we should uh, be prepared for it. And they were prepared because King Asa prepared them for it. How do we prepare for it? We put on the whole armor of God. Amen. The breastplate of rights, you know, the shield of faith and the, you know, all, and, and the belt of truth, and right, all those things. And, and we prepare ourselves. And how do we prepare ourselves? We don't wait until the trial comes and then scramble. Amen. You know, we need to pray before the temptation comes that God will deliver us from the temptation when it does come. Amen. You, if you wait until you're in the midst of it, more times than not, you're going to fail. And so Asa is preparing before the trial comes because he knows it's coming. And guys, we need to get up every morning saying, Lord, when I'm tempted today, because I know it's coming, Lord, help me to run to you and not from you. Help me not to listen to the enemy, but give me victory over it. In Jesus' name, amen. And Asa is preparing because, yes, everything's, you know, the cruise ship to heaven right now. But I know it's not going to be this way forever. And we need to get ready. And so he built fortified cities because the Lord had given him rest. While there was a time of peace, he was arming himself and preparing his nation because he knew that at some point the trials were coming, verse seven and eight. It says, therefore he said to Judah, that's the nation, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars. While the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side so they built and prospered. So he knows that the trials will be coming, but he also knows he's in a time of peace and rest. So what does he do during that time? He gets ready for when the when the trials come. Now notice, I want to give you some examples of what some of these things could mean. And here's a verse that always, you know, challenges me. I think about it a lot especially with some of the trials we've gone through in our family says this in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes but to, not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There's an enemy that wants to destroy you. There's an enemy that hates you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your testimony. And then Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundant. And the one you will experience is the one you turn to. It's the one that you let you uh, have occupied the throne of your life for any period of time. But notice how he combats it. First of all, he puts up walls. Now what do walls do? They kept the enemy out. Amen. I'm not campaigning for Trump up here, all right. But, but what do walls do? They keep the enemy out. And what should we be doing as a believer? We should have resolved to keep the enemy out. Amen. We don't give the enemy a comfortable place to dwell in my house or in my life or in my, you know, in my soul. You're not welcome here, amen? And so there needs to be resolve. I see the walls as being similar to our resolve as to what we will allow in our lives. While we allow certain things to penetrate our lives, are we resolved to say no to temptation? No, it's not okay. But notice along with walls, towers. What do towers do? They help us to see when the enemy's coming. Amen? Why do you have a tower? The guy's up there. We well, didn't have binoculars back then, but you know, you got with binoculars because you want to see when the enemy's coming and you know what happens? We as believers need to have an eternal perspective and recognize when it's the enemy that's coming. Amen. I'll be super transparent with you guys. And I'm sure all the rest of you who are married, never experience this, but we have times when my wife and I might disagree about something. Yeah, it happens. It's usually my fault. But here's the point. The point is we need to recognize when that happens that that's the enemy coming. Amen? Amen. Trying to bring division. Trying to, you know, all this be transparent. Since my wife and I sat down and we prayed about it and we went over and counted the cost and I decided to come full-time, full-time at the church starting next month, I spent two days in the hospital and we've had difficulties all throughout our everywhere around us. We're like, okay, God wants us to do this. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to have a perspective and not let the enemy win when those things take place. Well, maybe, you know, it's so fun. My wife goes, well, maybe you shouldn't do it. I said, that's exactly why I'm going to do it. Because if Satan doesn't want me to do it, I want to be in with both feet. We, we need to have that, that perspective. where we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, help me, help me to see the world through your eyes. Help me to see the enemy when he's coming for my marriage, my family, my kids, trying to distract me from what you've called me to do, right? We want to make sure that we, we have the, the Lord giving us clear direction so we can hear from him. So not only did he say walls and towers, but then he also says gates. What do gates do? Gates let people in, but it also gets us to get out. Can I get an amen to that? As believers, we don't want to just sit in our safe place. And remain there forever until the Lord comes back for me this is outreach you know we need to get outside of our comfort zone and go and tell others about the fact that the Lord is here and then finally bars bars keep the gates closed when we need them closed and and for me this is a picture of discernment you know we need to have wisdom there are times when we should minister to people and there are times when trying to do that might bring harm or corruption right so we want to use godly wisdom. We want to have discernment. So the four things, the four pictures I see there in the gates and the bars and the, and, the, and the towers and the walls is resolve, again, to stand for the things, to say no to temptation, perspective, you know, as looking through the tower, seeing what's coming afar off, recognizing it. My wife and I do this often. We did this this morning. I just go out to pray with her. It was really nothing. It was about nothing. We had a disagreement. I went out and prayed with her. I go, babe, that's the enemy. She goes, I know. You're right, it's the enemy, and we pray together, and and then the enemy just leaves. Can I get amen to that? So we need to have that perspective and see it coming, and then we need to have a heart to reach people and then have discernment. And so there are times when things are good, but it's not a time to just rest. I mean, you can have some rest in there, but it's also a time to prepare when things are going to get difficult again, when trials are going to come. And then he says there in verse uh, 6, And he built fortified cities in the land and had rest, and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Verse 7, Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build cities and walls. Verse 8, And then he says, And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, Carriers of shields and spears. And from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. And all these were mighty men of valor. So he's got 580,000 mighty men of valor. Now here's one potential problem when you have that big of an army. You might cease to be desperate for God. It's like when you have, you know, if you had, none of us have this problem. But if you had $500 million in the bank, it might not be praying all that much about where the rent's coming from. Amen? You might not be all that worried about how your kids are going to get educated or whatever that thing may be that you're concerned about. And so he has 580,000 people, and they're not just men. They're not just a bunch of stiffs. They're men of valor. They're men of war. They're trained. They're ready. But we're going to see here that he's not going to rest in that. Because guess what? There's always an enemy bigger when we're trying to do stuff in our own strength. Amen? Amen? Always, always, always something bigger that will come along that will bring destruction if we will let it. So he's got this huge army, but notice what happens. We see that in verse 8. Look at verse, then there it says they carried bows. So as we rest in him, prepare for the battle. So he's prepared. He's built up fortified cities. He's put up walls and towers and gates and bars. He's ready for when they come. They're looking out to see them coming. He's ready. He rises up this great army, 580,000 people. He's ready for the battle. Point number three, or number four, excuse me, stay desperate for the Lord. Look what happens in verse nine. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men. Wait a minute. 580,000 looks pretty awesome till a million dudes are showing up. Amen. Amen. So his army that was great and was strong was not as great as the enemy's army. And so if he was just resting in the army itself, all of a sudden he's going to be overwhelmed. If you're just resting in your bank account, your own intellect, your own strength, your own thoughts, your own desires, whatever that is, if you're putting your faith in yourself, there's always going to be something greater that you can't handle without the Lord. Amen? And so what happens? Ace is going to be put to the test. The tea bags being dropped into hot water. He had 10 years of peace. Cities are fortified. They're on the lookout. We've got a huge army. These guys are all trained. What in the world could possibly go wrong? And along comes the enemy. I do want to say this here. What's talking about the Ethiopian? It's not modern-day Ethiopia. It's really where Sudan is today. And so what is he going to do? He sees this huge army And imagine yourself, you're the king and you've been blessed and you've been honoring the Lord and God's been blessing you because of that. And then what do you see? A million men coming and they're all trained and you're the king and it's up to you to make sure your people don't all get destroyed. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you lose your job, surprisingly? And then did anybody get their gas bill this month? I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Can I get of that? My gas bill is usually 250. It was 757. dollars I'm like, I'm man. But the point making is, if I'm good thing, I'm not trusting in my bank account for that. Right, man. But the point I'm making is that there's this place where you can become so comfortable, and then something surprising will happen. So what happens if you go and I, you know if you go home and and you find out some of your family's got cancer and it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't fix it. If you, if you go home and, you know, you're, there's trials in your marriage or something happens with your job, whatever those things are where it is beyond your control and you can't fix it. So what would you do? Tell me what would you do if you were in a position where you couldn't fix it on your own. What would you do? Pray, Pray worship, cry out to the Lord. That's exactly what Ace is going to do. That's the example we should follow. Amen? Because look what he does. So this army comes out. Not by the way... And 300 chariots. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but equate that to a modern day tank. Because these chariots would, you know, these guys are walking around in armor. They're not able to move very quick, right? And all of a sudden, these chariots come along with horses in front of them, and they were, you know, they were like just war machines. And often they would have blades that stuck out from the wheels on each side, and they would just come through and just take guys out at the knees. I mean, so chariots were a problem. So you got a million men and 300 chariots against 580,000 men. No mention of chariots. And so what is he going to do? Look what it says. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the battle of Zarephath and Marsha. So they get their battle. They battle them up. And again, I love this picture. you got a million guys over here with all their chariots lined up. you got 580,000 guys over here. This army's bigger. What's going to happen? By the way... We're planning a trip to Israel in either February or March of next year. I have more details here pretty soon. We're going to be going with a couple of other Calvary chapels. So this army's mounted up. What made me think of that is some of the lands there where a lot of battles took place. So discipline doesn't keep you from the battle. It prepares you for it. So he's mounted up. He's prepared for it. But I want you to, I want you to see what he does. Here's what he does. Look at verse 11. I love this. Here's the verse of the night. And Asa, what did he do? He cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. Amen, amen, and amen. And guys, this is a, when when someone's in a place where, they're first of all, recognizing the greatness of our God. Is he not recognizing how great God is here? First thing he says is, Lord, it's nothing for you to help. Lord, it's nothing for you. People say things that nothing's too hard for God or nothing's too difficult for God. Nothing's difficult for God, period. Can I get him amen to that? Not too difficult. It's not difficult at all. He's almighty God. Can God wipe out 500 million in five seconds? He's God, amen? And so who do you run to? The one who you know is greater than the enemy that you are facing. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And he cries out to the Lord and he praises his name and he speaks of his greatness. And I'll tell you what, when you come to that place where you're on your face before God and you're crying out to him and you're praising his name and you understand his greatness, there's nothing that God can't do. Amen? I've had prayers like that, mainly for my kids. On my face. Crying out to the Lord, begging, pleading with him. And you know what? God hears our prayers. Because he was a disciplined man, he was prepared for the battle. But because he was a godly man, he knew where to run in the midst of the the difficulty of life. He knew to run to the Lord. Notice he doesn't mount up his, his, his chiefs and his captains, although it's not saying that's unwise, but he calls out to the Lord. Notice he doesn't call to the Lord last, calls out to the Lord first, immediately. He was, a, he was a young man who was prepared and knew in this moment to cry out to the Lord. You know why he knew how to cry out to, to, cry out to the Lord? Because he was walking with the Lord, because he had a relationship with the Lord. And that's why he cried out to the Lord. He knew that when that temptation came, when the battle came, who he needed to run to. I read this illustration. I'm not a big one for reading illustrations, but I read this one. It's really quickly. And it's a guy named Bruce Wilkerson who wrote the prayer of Jabez. You may have read it. And he tells of being worn out and then he was in a dangerous place. He had gone to a foreign land and he had been ministering to thousands of people, and he was coming home from this faraway land and he was just whipped. He was just tired and exhausted. And he got on the plane, and the first thing he said was, Lord, please help me, because I'm not strong enough to deal with temptation right now. I don't, just please help me. Help me to keep my eyes on you. And he said he got on the plane, and the guy sat next to him, he had got a middle seat, and the guy on this side of him opened up mag- a porn magazine. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. So he looks this way. The guy comes in and sits down, on the sec- and he opens up a porn magazine. He's got porn magazines on both sides. And he puts his head down, and he says, okay, Lord, help. And as they're flying along, both guys all of a sudden just put the stuff away without them saying a word. See, God removed the temptation. See, guys, it didn't have to be porn. Whatever that struggle is, right? Money, whatever it is. Look, when, we, when we're in a place before we get there, we want to say, Lord, when the temptation comes, give me the strength to keep my eyes on you. Amen. And we need a, and this is where Asa could have been so easy. i got 500,000 men. It's been 10 years in this land. I'm, I, you know, I've torn up all the idols. We're good to go. I don't have to be desperate for God. And he never lost sight of it. As soon as the trial came, he cried out to the Lord. Again, the Lord should be the first place we turn to, not the last resort. Our victory always comes from the Lord. And it begins with prayer, with the greatness of our God. What does it say in the model prayer? It's not the Lord's prayer, even though people call it that. When the apostles came to Jesus and said, "Teach us how to pray." What's the first? Our Father, what? When well, then what? Holy is your name. So the first thing you do is you recognize who you're talking to and the greatness of the one you're talking to. Amen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the point is, when we begin our prayer, we should begin by understanding the greatness of our God. And when we pray to our God and we speak of the greatness of our God, see, our enemy is only great if our God is small. That's why our enemies are small, because our God is great. Amen? And that's exactly what he's doing. He's talking about the greatness of, Lord, there's nobody too big for you. Lord, there's nothing you can't do. There's no enemy you can't defeat. Lord, we need your help. And he's crying out. And he's not ashamed of it. He's not hiding it. You're an all power, almighty God. And he cries out for his help. And notice what he says there at the end of this. He said, oh, Lord God, for the rest of you, for we rest on you. We trust in you, Lord. We can't do this without you. In your name we go. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? In his name. Against this multitude, O oh Lord, you are our God. You're on our side. We worship you, we serve you. And then he says, do not let men prevail against you. Lord, for your name, don't let them win because they're gonna mock your name. May your name be glorified. He's not saying, hey, Lord, do this so I can be the greatest king ever. Hey, do this so everybody will praise me. He says, Lord, do this and they will all continue to praise you. And guys, that should always be our focus is that God and God alone is the one who's glorified and that God and God alone gets the victory. Look, you may be really good at your job, and you know what? Do your job as unto the Lord, but know that even when you do the job well, God alone gets the glory because He's the one that gave you the ability to do it. Amen? And whatever that gift is, whatever that talent is, it's easy to listen to the praise of men when we should only be pointing all of our praise to the Lord. So he cries out. So what is, how does the Lord respond? Look at verse 12, last point. If God is for us, who can be against us? So he cries out to the Lord, great reminder for all of us. Then he says, so the Lord struck the Ethiopian before Asa and Judah and the Ethiopians fled. I don't see any, I don't know how he did it, but it doesn't tell us that he gave them a great military instruction. He can do that if he wants. But all I know is a million guys were running away. By the way, we're trying to count to a million. You know how many guys that is? And they're all running in the opposite direction. And they're running away from a smaller army because, again, it's not the size of the army. It's the greatness of our God. Amen? And see, if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. I don't have to be afraid of anything because our God's greater. Amen? By the way, He's greater than COVID. Amen? Amen? He's greater than the things that people are... I, I just went... Uh, I don't have a story. I just went to a place where they... A cost you got to put this mask on right now or you're going to be in trouble. I'm like, really? Okay. A left. You know what I mean, though? we, we are, we, everybody walks in fear. We have nothing to be afraid of. Amen? God is for us. Who can be against us? So he struck them and we're all running away. Now, watch what happens. And Asa and the people who went and pursued them to Gerar, that's the outskirts of the town, about 12 miles away. So the Ethiopians were overthrown and they could not recover for they were broken before the Lord and his army and they carried away very much spoil. So they start chasing them. This reminds me of David and Goliath. Remember when David fought Goliath? You remember how the children of Israel were just scared to death of Goliath? 40 days and 40 nights. 11 foot 750. Mighty warrior with a, with a spear that weighed 75 pounds. The, 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 the front of the spear weighed 25 pounds. And he comes out, I defy your armies. And you know, they just all shaped. And then comes... Little David, the milkman, right? And he's delivering cheese to his brothers. So his dad, go check on your brothers. And he shows up and everybody in armor is scared. And David's like, who's this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? And David, they tried to put armor on him. I don't need that. I got the Lord. And he went down and what did he do? He took down Goliath. And I can imagine 11 foot 750 hitting the dirt. What did that sound like? right? And the dust kicks up, and when the dust clears, David is standing on his chest, holding up his head, no doubt with both hands, because it was heavy, amen? And what did that do for all of Israel? They all ran down the hill confident and started chasing the the, uh, Philistines away, amen? And the same thing happens here, They cried out to God, God struck the blow, and all they did was follow the Lord, and they got to reap the spoils of what God did. Amen? And praise the Lord for that. And then finally it says there, they also attacked the livestock and the enclosures and carried off the sheep and the camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. What's the main lesson for Asa and for us? God gave Asa and his people an amazing spiritual victory in response to a simple prayer of faith. What did Asa do? He cried out to God. Asa didn't try to figure it out on his own. He didn't think that he was mighty on his own. And what did he do? He cried out to God. And what happened? God showed up. Amen? Sometimes God says no. But when he does, it's what's best for us. In response to that simple prayer, again, a faith that hasn't been tested, is a faith that cannot be trusted. So in closing, God has no grandchildren. Again, an ungodly example is not an excuse to live an ungodly life. Yeah, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy if you didn't grow up without a maybe you didn't grow up with a, a godly parent or any godly parents. Maybe you didn't grow up in a great environment. And I'm not downplaying that. I'm not saying that's not difficult, but you need to know that God can bring you through that. Number two, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Don't worry about being popular before men, but being faithful to God. He's the only one whose judgment you should be concerned about. Number three, as you rest in Him, prepare for the battles to come. So even in the times when you're walking strong and your relationships are great and everything's wonderful, we need not to just put our guard down. We need to be preparing for the next battle that will be coming. And how do we do that? We spend time in prayer, in the Word, in fellowship, seeking the Lord. Stay desperate for the Lord. Again, I think it's good for us throughout our lives to get put into places where if the Lord doesn't show up, we're not going to make it. Amen? Amen. How many of you really want that to happen though, right? But the truth is there's something about when we get to that place where I can't fix this and we have to cry out to the Lord, those are the greatest faith growing moments that we have in life. And then finally, if God is for us, who can be against us? They were outnumbered. They had they had better, you know, better weaponry, they had the chariots, and they still lost. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you for the example we see tonight of revival in the land because first and foremost, all the false gods were removed. And then, Lord, they continued to prosper because, Lord, they kept their eyes on you. And then when the enemy came, they would have been prepared for the battle. But, Lord, in the midst of being overwhelmed, the first, last, and only place they turned was to you and cried out to you. And, God, you blessed them because Asa came desperate for you, and you showed up in a mighty and a powerful way. Lord, I pray for all of us, whether we're going through a time of peace or a time of great trials, I pray and ask in Jesus' name, you would help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Lord, to be men and women of the word, men and women of prayer, to recognize that we're never alone, that you're a faithful God. and May we praise you in the midst of the storm. So Lord, be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name and all God's people said.